Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Welcome once again to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast. If you're just joining us for the first time, we kicked off a challenge a couple of weeks ago to write a novel with Dabble in 60 days. This challenge encompasses the yearly NaNoWriMo challenge while also adding a planning month to the mix. Five writers are going through the process of developing an idea, making a fully formed plot and plan, then executing the writing of a first draft in 60 days. Last week, we talked about characters. You can have a brilliant plot idea, a stellar setting, an amazingly grand idea, but without characters that readers can relate to and ultimately root for, you don't have much that will keep readers engaged. Join us as we look at what makes characters who they are and what character traits can add to your story. Join us uh, and join the discussion over at storycraft.cafe where uh, we are going to be starting some breakout sessions where if, if you like what you've heard in the weekly podcast and want to talk more about how this is uh, affecting your story or you know how things are progressing with your story or maybe talk through a problem, we're going to spin, be spinning those up very soon. So go over to storycraft.cafe, sign up for free and join the conversation there. Now on to our show. And we are live here in the Storycraft Cafe. Uh, I am Hank Garner, your host and your story barista, as always. Joining me tonight, Josh Hayes, Lauren Moore, Ian Garner, and Amy Hale. Uh, we're not able to make it tonight. They are still plugging away at the challenge, but, you know, life stuff came up and, and they couldn't join us tonight. So tonight it's going to be me, Josh, and Lauren, and reposition myself for the for the camera how's it going guys fantabulous going good i went to a retreat in the mountains of virginia and met a whole lot of new friends and might have had a little run-in with some of the leaves in the mold and have a little like allergy stuff going on oh, so wow. kind of pardoned for that but had a really good time and spent 10 hours in the car with my sister and talked about life and we talked about the shows we've been watching and my um and a little bit about book so i've got some ideas going and i'm, I'm excited to uh share talk about character today with everyone nice and hours in the car with my sister my in, anyway that's ah! yeah yeah, yeah that that would that would be I don't have a twin like Josh, though. That uh, yeah, I, yeah, I couldn't do it either. I could do. I, I could. The only person I could do ten hours in the car with is myself. That's it. I could uh, not do it. <laughs> well, Lauren, like uh, like you said, uh, we have had a horrible drought uh, this late summer, which means that our normal rain that washes away all the pollen. And stuff is has been non-existent, so my allergies are going crazy. So I'm going to be uh, eating on a, a cough drop from time to time to keep from coughing in everybody's everybody's ear. Yep. Uh, anyway, so last week we talked. Uh, Jacob 
from from Dabble joined us, and we talked about plotting and the um, the specific plot tools that that Dabble provides. And I think we all got some great insight into that. And Josh, I know that you finished up your previous project, which then yes. freed you up to start working on this project this week. And and you shared a, a picture with us this morning where you were at it with the plot grid and you were using the, the color coded banners and, and the whole. Oh yeah. I'm in cards. it. I'm in it. How, how's it going? Uh, it's great. Yeah. I finished uh, book one. Um, the first draft came out to about 130,000 words ish. Um, it's a little bigger than you were shooting for in it. Yeah. I was shooting for a hundred and uh, oh. <laughs> I thought you were shooting for like 120. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, it's actually a running joke between uh, me and Chris Kennedy. And every time I'm in one of his anthologies, uh, there's a hard cap at 10,000 for the words. I always go over the hard cap, always. Uh, I don't think I've ever given him a story that's under like 11,000 or 12,000 words. Um, so, yeah, I was aiming for 100,000. It, it's about 135. Um, it may stretch to 140 depending on um, the... I, and I can, if that's something they want to do, I can't show that later. Um, uh, I can. Um, so yeah, finish that on. Yeah. Finish that on Friday. No, um, I can't remember. Maybe it was Monday. I think I finished it on Monday. Um, and so I took Tuesday off and then today I've been, uh, just grinding out plot ideas for book two, kind of doing that little breather um uh, on the first book uh it's my drafts the story wise and character wise are usually right on and so the editing comes down to all of my i can't spell for half of nothing and um <laughs> i have a horrible problem of thinking a word uh like for instance if i think about i will type above but i will see about Mm. And uh, I don't catch that until I go back in. And sometimes I catch it right away and sometimes I don't. And I don't have any idea why I do that. Uh, it's just been a problem of mine forever. Um, so a lot of my editing comes from copy and just making sure that the right word is there. Um, but yeah, I spent, um, I don't know, three, four hours today um, going through. I think I got the first 12 chapters planned and outlined um it's sitting that the the amount of words in the planning doc right now are about four thousand and uh for twelve thousand or for 12 chapters so that's where i'm sitting at right now talk about writing the wrong word um i'm dyslexic and that manifests itself in in different ways with different people some you know you think dyslexia you just jumble letters up and sometimes it's like that but sometimes it's uh, I was making a graphic the other day for an upcoming show um, that we're doing. And I, and I always put Eastern time and Pacific time. And then, you know, the people in the middle like us, you know, can figure out where they fall depending right. on those two. Right. And, I, and I completely reversed them and I didn't know it, didn't notice it at all until a week later. And I was mm -hmm. like, well, why is Pacific time after Eastern time? That doesn't make sense. And I just reversed them. And, um, so I, I feel your pain about, you know, thinking one thing, doing another right, and, and just not picking up on it until, you know, somebody calls you out on it. 
Fortunately, I know that it's a problem of mine. Yeah. So, and I a lot of times when I do go through edits, uh, I'll have all of my chapters in separate documents, and as I'm going through, uh, what I call my my edit is I. I mark my progress by how many chapters I'm pulling over into the main manuscript file. And so I use pro writing aid on a single word document and I go through that and find everything wrong in that. And then I change the font and do it again. And then I bring it over to my manuscript files. By the time everything's together, I've gone through it about three or four times. That's the great All right, thing. I know we were talking about editing. I just went yeah. on a roll. <laughs> Hey, I'm loving this. <laughs> as as the editor, I you know I wrote a novel, and I had I think there were two editors who were helping me with that novel, and Richard Fox. So I think between the three of us, that that novel got edited like seven times. And then when I got it back after all of that, I was still finding more errors oh, that slipped through. Right. You pop on Pro Writing Aid, it like claims to find 400 errors, and you, you click through each one. And you find you still find twenty or thirty just left over. They're just kind of there. So you know, I had uh, I had one error in a, a short story that I had published by Bain in the Battle Luna anthology, mm-hmm. and in the first sentence there was a error in the in the paper. In the I don't think it's I don't think it's in my paperback copy, <laughs> but I know specifically in the hardback copy that I signed in Barnes and Noble. Oh no! I opened it up and looked at my first chapter, and I go, "That's not the right word." <laughs> <laughs> Barn, uh, uh, Sam a- saying that Pro Writing Aid works in Dabble. That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. Yes, it's a. Uh, if you look in your right hand bar, um, you can turn Pro Writing Aid off and on there. Sweet. For sure. Lauren, as an editor who writes, having an editor look at your work, do you take personal offense at that? No, I love it. And it was such a revelation to me, for me, that me as an author, I'd really enjoy and someone else coming in and showing me all the problems so I can fix them and how much I felt like it was a relief as an editor, before I had that experience, I just kind of had this assumption that, you know, an author's manuscript, it's like their baby, you know, it's very precious to them. I got to be very careful when I give my feedback to them to not like step on their toes, you know, and I, I had a, I had some stress about that, you know, with the, the going back and forth. Um, but then to actually be on the other side of the table and to, to feel such incredible relief when Ellen Campbell found mistakes fixed them and made suggestions when Ellen Campbell wrote a comment on my manuscript and asked if I was high when I wrote that. And I really wasn't. Okay. (laughs) I really was not high when I wrote that. I was just writing, you know, and getting in the zone and just writing. Um, And, and uh, you know, I, I took her suggestions. Some of them I agreed with, some of them I didn't. And once I, when I didn't agree with her, that was fine too. Um, So it was, I I felt like it was a relief and um, I, I, hope that other authors feel that way that we're on the same team just to make the book better right and if we agree great and if not that's fine too um it's still the author's book and it's their responsibility and they make the final call if you've never been edited by ellen campbell and received some of her snarky comments in there you don't know what you're missing it's a delight <laughs> it's a delight one of the short stories she edited for me uh one of stories the- are short for ellen yeah uh, one of the the uh, reoccurring 
phrases was the tide comes in and the tide comes out. And in every instance of the word tide, she put roll tide in the comments and, 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 or some variation of roll tide and, and all that stuff. And yeah, it was great. Alabama fans. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Die what are you going to do with them, man? So last week we started talking about plotting out our stories. And this week I want to talk a little bit about character development and, um, you know, you can have, uh, an amazing plot. You can think of all sorts of things that your story is going to do, but until you have someone to do those things too, you don't have a story. Um, so what do you guys, do you have a philosophy about building characters and making characters that readers care about? Josh, do, do you like what, what, and, and let me, let me qualify that a little, a little broader. Um, do you think about, do you think about stories in terms of main character and then people that support that main character, like the main character as the person that the plot is going to happen to, and then a supporting cast? Do you think about um, a group of people and then, this is a place where they're going to live. And because of the people and the place stuff happens, like how do you start thinking about populating a plot with people? Um, well, first for me is always the, the story idea or the, the plot and the, the characters. They're not secondary, but I work them. I work them almost last um, okay. because the characters for me are almost the easiest thing to do in my writing um, because I love characters. I love unique characters. I like doing silly things with them that make them stand out um, and make them different. Um, for instance, one of the side characters in the book says my guy, like all the time. And, and uh, it's, you know, I don't do that with all the characters, but I like finding little things that little like like uh i don't know the, the word is slipping me but little little things that everybody does that they don't know that they do but everybody else is like they do that all the time and so i try to find stuff like that that is interesting and, and add that to the character but also a lot of who the character is comes out in the writing and that's for me that's very hard to plan ahead of time um for instance, with the characters I'm writing with this book, one is a soldier, one is a spy, and one is a basically what amounts to a computer hacker. Um, but she really only does that to survive. She doesn't. She's not malicious with it. She, uh, her, and her grandfather have just been kind of bouncing around from place to place, just surviving basically. And in doing that, she has done a lot of things to herself um, because of uh, the way that the system works. They have a lot of implants and a lot of like just things that they can, they can access computer systems with implants in their mind and there's virtual interfaces and all that stuff. Well, she's taken that to the next level because she is good at that. And so she's just ramped up everything in her body that can make that better. Um, and so it's interesting exploring 
what that does to a character and how they interact with everybody else because their life is digital. Like that's, that's where she lives at. And she has never had friends. And so now going into like friends other than her grandfather, and now she's going into the second book. And I actually have a section where her and her grandfather are talking about, do we stay or do we leave? Because, we're not, this isn't, this is outside of our comfort zone. We're not used to working with other people. We don't know, like, can we trust them? Do they have their best, our best interests at heart? And so that kind of stuff, I lay the seeds for that. And then I make sure that I plant, I, I fill almost all of their scenes with something touching that. So it grows their character through the story. What about um, you, Lauren? How, how do you, how are you feeling about the people that are going to be in your story? Yeah, I did something similar with the, the first book I wrote is I started with the plot and that novel was a, a mail order bride romance. So <laughs> I know there are certain tropes that I have what to have. What other kind of romance is there? <laughs> True. There are certain tropes that I have to have and, and like there's certain stages to that journey and that kind of necessitates certain kinds of characters. Um, so with the same thing with the plot that I'm working on now is it's going to be a fortress under siege kind of story. So I'm going to need to have defenders. I'm going to need to have uh, like a ragtag group that uh, initially you know, doesn't get along or maybe doesn't understand each other. Um, but through being attacked, you know, they're going to have to band together and learn to rely on each other. So I know that they're going to be pretty diverse, right? I know I'm going to need um, comic relief because it's going to get dark, right? Uh, I know I'm going to need some really big bad villains that are going to have to kind of get worse and worse over time. Um, it's going to have to be like the second book in the Lord of the Rings series. Um, so th this is going to this is going to get dark. We need to have comic relief. So I'll think about my story and what it needs as a whole and then start putting those pieces together. Um, still, uh, as a writer, when I think about my characters, I've got a pretty much blank slate and I you know, can be a little like, well, where do I go from here? I was an English teacher. <laughs> And I'm finding that as a writer, a lot of the stuff I taught as an English teacher actually has use. Those things weren't just terms. They were tools. And now I'm using them. Like as an English teacher, I taught my students that some characters are flat, right? They only have one side to their personality. And some characters are round and they have multiple sides too. Okay. So I might have um, my main characters are going to be round. They're, yeah, right. <laughs> They're going to have multiple sides to them. They're going to uh, also change over time. But I will need lots of side characters that I just don't have time to kind of like flesh out all the different sides to them. Um, so they might be like, you know, Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh, who, you know, kind of has one main kind of side to him that comes up. Okay. <laughs> kind of depressing down. Well, he's got multiple sides too. Um, but I, my characters can have just one side of them. Um, my main characters also are going to change over time, right? We want to have that character arc. So I got to be thinking about who's my main character at the start. What flaws do they have? Um, what weaknesses do they have? And then what is the big change that I want to see over time for them as a result of the conflict? Uh, maybe they've got weaknesses that'll later become strengths. 
Um, and at the beginning, it's dragging them down. But later on, it could be the key to unlocking the whole thing. Um, so those characters are dynamic versus characters that are static that don't change. Um, so my villain, uh, he might be static and he might not change by the end. Or he could be dynamic, too. He could have a redemption arc or uh, he could get worse. <laughs> um, there's all kinds of changes that someone could make. But um, there's room in my plot and in my cast of characters for both um, round and flat characters, dynamic and static. And just thinking about those terms could start helping me to color out that cast. Yeah. So I, I have this question, and it was a perfect segue to 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 this question uh, that I wanted to, to pitch to you guys. Um, and, and I'm thinking about this in my story. Um, you, you traditionally, traditionally are going to have a protagonist and then um, for the protagonist to have a, a great story arc, you need an antagonist. You need someone to, uh, to put obstacles in your protagonist way or to uh, provide conflict. Um, if and Lauren, I know the the book you're writing is in the Forgotten Ruin world, which is mm-hmm. kind of Army Rangers in a Tolkien esque world. You know, um, the portal fantasy, if you will. Um, one of the uh, one of one of the things that I hear discussed um, about Tolkien esque fantasy, especially, is that it's a purely good versus evil story and the you know white versus black and now the the story du jour um you know that the um you know people love to to paint in shades of gray it's you know the stark white versus black good versus evil are not as in vogue as they once were and and maybe you know there, there's something to be said for giving your antagonist motivation as well as your protagonist and and to to give a why to the evil um sometimes evil's just evil and there's not anything we can do about it but sometimes there is a story behind the evil and and you know being able to to bring out some of that gives depth to that character um how do you guys feel about evil for evil's sake versus giving motivation to an antagonist. Lauren, go ahead. <laughs> well, oh. even Tolkien would say that there's darkness in every soul and the light can reach through the deepest, darkest darkness there is. Um, you look at Gollum and he really did have a struggle. There was potential yeah. for redemption for Gollum. Um, and in the end, his um, he just couldn't overcome his greed. But there were moments when, you know, hope and repentance was kind of awakening in him. And similarly, Frodo, he struggled against the pull of the ring and power, and he he was slipping. He needed Sam to carry him through at the end. There, he needed his best friend there to be sacrificial. Um, so in our stories too, we can go ahead and show that, you know, this conflict is, is real, even for our main character. We don't want a main character who's a Molly Sue. That's the, the, the name, right? Um, who's just does everything right all the time. That's not realistic, believable, relatable, uh, fun to read because we all have those struggles in our ourselves and we understand them and we connect with them. And the point is that your characters connect with the reader. And they can get lost in that story. Um, so I think if your your villain also has um, more complexity to them, 
and even complexity in, in the moral realm too. Um, that'll be fascinating to the reader. And it'll give you some room to play with um, bigger themes and bigger ideas and kind of explore what's driving you to write the book in the first place that you might not even be aware of until you're like partway through that some scene and you're just struck with this like brilliant idea. And you're like, where did that come from? And I guess it's just kind of, maybe it's your subconscious speaking through, maybe it's then you the whole time, but uh, you know, you might have that moment of realization when you're, you know, you're been stuck in this chapter and suddenly you come up with an idea and you're like, wow, that was in there the whole time. And brilliant. Keep going. Um, that those are the kind of, of moments that, you know, a writer, writer lives for. And also the reader really enjoys on their side of it too. And Josh, I can see you've had that too. You've had that moment too. Oh yeah. I've had all plenty and most of them by accident. Uh, um, but uh, I, you know, I, I really, I think the the idea of like uh, evil for evil's sake, like a Sauron character, that mm-hmm. it, it it does serve a purpose. Um, I, whenever I st- start to write my antagonists, and typically I have many, and I, I have antagonists on different levels. Um, I don't know that I've written. I don't know that I've written a book that the antagonist is like a dark Lord figure where it's just one person that they're trying to fight against. Usually the antagonists happen on different levels for different reasons, but usually they're all connected. Um, But I always want to know why, why are they doing that? And what is their end game? Uh, Because it's not just a it's a, B and C. They're not, no one sets out to just do a there's always other things involved. And so when I'm writing an antagonist, I need to know what those other things are. Um, and even if they don't make it into the book, just so I understand what the character, what the antagonist is trying to do. Um, and I really, really like writing antagonists, um, who a, um, don't come across as an evil mustache twirling villain. I love writing villains. Sometimes don't even realize they're the villain until you get to a certain point and they're like, Oh damn. Uh, so I really like to do layered villains are my favorite. I mm-hmm. really, really enjoy villains. Um, uh, some, sometimes m- more than my main characters. I've got a, a book that I'm hopefully going to write next year. Um, that one of the main characters that we follow, it's going to be hopefully a trilogy, but one of the main characters that we follow for, uh, those three books at the end of the second book, uh, is going to, uh, it's going, we're going to see that he's wrong and he's been wrong the whole time, but he's going to continue on his path. So he's going to go from, who we are following as a protagonist through the entire book or through the entire series. And he will become the antagonist later, but he never changes. He's he's completely the same all the way through. And he is a, a a staunch believer in what he's doing. And that doesn't change, but he becomes an antagonist um, in book three. And I'm, I'm really excited to write that because I, I think that 
stay holding to your beliefs and becoming the bad guy is something that a lot of people don't see happening in themselves, but they see it happening in a lot of other people. And I wanted to explore that really deeply with this character. What what's the saying? How does it go that everyone is the hero in their own story? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that you know, what better way to portray uh, an antagonist as mm-hmm. as truly believing yeah. um, that they're doing the right thing? Or um, you know, who who's the big bad in uh, Marvel Endgame? Thanos. Thanos. You know, Thanos thought he was doing a noble. Oh, know, for sure. Decent thing. Yeah. Um, he just couldn't see the error of his ways. And right. That that's that in, in a lot of ways, that's a more terrifying uh, antagonist. For sure. Yeah. When, yeah. when they feel like they're on the side of justice and right, that's, that's, that's more scary. Yeah. Um, I'm writing a, a, a mystery and it's going to be a murder mystery. So someone will die. Uh, so now working out motivations for, uh, for the reasoning for the dead body, um, but then also the red herrings and mm-hmm. the misdirections. That's what I'm having a lot of fun with right now is setting up people that act squirrely but are not guilty of this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you know how do you how do you put roadblocks in people's way that they're not necessarily doing the right thing, but they're not guilty of this thing. Right. Um, so that that's what I'm having a lot of fun with right now. Yeah, because as a mystery writer, you've got to plant clues. Yes. So that when the reader gets to the end of the book, either they're good enough clue finder that they could have picked up the clues and put it all right. together, which I don't know if I've ever managed to do. But <laughs> some some detective readers can. And you should at least you should at least have the feeling that if you were more careful you could have done it so then how do you arrange all of that as a writer well first yeah. you got to think of it all up first yeah and that's, that's the fun a grid yeah the best thing um one of the the most enjoyable things that i have um as a reader or as uh, you know a movie watcher or something is to get to the end of a story you know the the big reveal, the big twist, whatever it is, where you you know clue the reader into what's going on, and then you immediately start rewinding back mm-hmm. and replaying all the scenes and looking for all the clues that you missed. That is the best part to me. So that's what I'm having a a, a real fun time with right now. I'm on my fourth read through of uh, Pandora Star, the Commonwealth Saga by Peter F. Hammerson. It's a fantastic book. If you if you like space opera, you ha- and you haven't read this book, then you don't like space opera because this book <laughs> is the quintessential space, in my opinion, number one at the top of my list for space opera. Pa- uh, Pandora Star and Judas Unchained. It's it's two book set, and I've read it four times. They're super long, um, but there's a murder investigation going on in the book and in my mind even after reading it four times in my mind i'm like yes i know who did it uh but i always forget how he got away with it and (laughs) and then we get to this scene and uh the investigator she has this kind of light bulb moment but we see and and sometimes we experience her pov but at this particular chapter it's from somebody else's pov and you can see her have the light bulb you can see her go 
I know why, but she doesn't tell him because they're getting ready to go into court and do their thing. And in court, uh, spoiler alert, if you ever read it, it uh, doesn't ruin a whole bunch, but basically he, he planned everything correct. He would have got away with everything, but he packed up only her stuff. And the only person that would know exactly what was hers and what was his was him because they tried to play it off as maybe they just went away or maybe they got mugged in a business somewhere. But the only person that would know that it was her stuff was the the guy. And every time, every time it it hits me and that's, that doesn't really affect the, the story as a whole. That's just a very slim uh, portion of it. Um, but when you said that, it's what I thought of. I, uh, I just looked it up and I posted a link in the, in the chat there. Oh, yeah. uh, Peter F. Hamilton. I, I don't think that I've ever read that. Oh God. He's, and he's a, we've like, had him on uh, KSM a couple of times and he's a fantastic uh, author. Well, and you wrote the foreword to, to one of our anthologies too. Very good. Oh, that's true. I just yeah. sent it to my Kindle. So mm. I'll nice. dig into that tonight for sure. I um, wonder if as an author, you came up with that idea, like maybe you're packing with your wife or something yeah. and you come up with that idea. And like, that's that one little thing is like yeah. the tip off right. for the whole plot. Yeah. And it's that same thing with like characters, you know, figuring out who your characters are. You just start digging a little bit and just keep on digging, digging. And it just gives you more ideas that, that build and compound on each other. For sure. Well, I was, I was trying to figure out who said this quote. I've heard variations of this quote uh, a lot. Uh, plot is character and character is plot because as soon as a character takes a meaningful action, his action is driving your plot, whether you like it or not. Um, so in a lot of ways, you can't separate the two because right. one drives the other and then the other you know, drives the first one. And it, it becomes a, a circle that just feeds itself because people do things and right. and things happen to people. And so – well, and that's probably part of my horcrux in in plotting first and doing character second, because then I get down a rabbit hole with character, and I'm like, this character wouldn't do that, and then I then I've got to like go back and figure out, okay, how do we get back around to this? Because that's where I need to be over there. Mm. So uh, I thought of a fun exercise, and okay. um, I I made up this. Um, this little um, PowerPoint today and where I have um, some characters from pop fiction that, that I thought would be fun to um, uh, F Scott uh, Fitzgerald said that Keo said, thank you for that. Um, Superman. Superman is one of these characters that um, a, a lot of people um you know, love to pile on because he's a he's a Mary Sue in a lot of ways where um, he's kind of the perfect character and there's there's no foil um, to him. There is. But, you know, he's kind of the, the guy that can just do anything. Um, but I like to think of Superman in in the um, in the terms of is is it a nature or a nurture story? Is Superman good 
because he's good, because he's an alien who comes from another planet, and because he has these seemingly limitless powers? Or is he good because he was raised by Paul Kent in the Midwest and, you know, with with hardworking Midwestern values and, you know, as a lover of humanity, is that what makes him great or do his superpowers make him great? Um, what do you guys think about this character and what makes Superman such an iconic character that's lasted for 80 years? As a, uh, as a, not a huge fan of Superman um, only because of his, superpowers uh because it really does uh in my opinion diminish the kind of kind of story you can tell but i'm on the nurture side of this because there's you know there's obviously people that are from his planet that are completely different from him um and i've never seen the christopher reeves movies i've only seen the first maybe the second one of who is the guy that just did it um the British guy, yeah, um, yeah, the 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 one that the fight at the end of the movie kill like ruined the entire city, but they right, he won right. still. It, that, um, Superman I've only versus Batman that one. Uh, I have yeah, seen. I think I have seen that one too. Um, but there, there's just once you get past his childhood and even some of his interpersonal relationships with like Lois and stuff like that, there's really not anything. Like all it is is just blowing stuff up at that point. Like there's not a lot of character that goes in into that, you know, until kryptonite and all that stuff. But yeah. still, um, so I'd have to go for for nurture on this, just the the way there's is being from the Midwest myself, I can uh wholeheartedly attest to that. Yeah, I, I tend to think that it that Superman is more of a story of uh, of nurture, that it's yes, this character with seemingly limitless powers but he's anchored to his humanity by the people he was raised by and the place where he was raised. And um, I I think that's the story of Superman that, that a lot of comic writers and movie writers just don't seem to get. I I think that's the the real power of that character Mm, for the, for the nature side though. Yeah. His personality is a big piece of it too. Like he's, he's a humble guy and that's kind of part of his, his old, Allure, I don't know, mystique is that he's just he he tries to stay out of the spotlight as Clark Kent. He tries to uh, you know he's hiding his powers kind of underneath his his outer shell, and he's very compassionate and respectful. He's the kind of guy who listens first and then talks later, um, and that's why he makes a lot of the choices, willing to like throw himself out there and be self sacrificial and just kind of rush in to save the day is is because of his personality so which has been raised by his parents right you know so both the i'd say both both are there and and also i think he's a good icon for like what makes a good man you know he's someone who's humble hardworking. he uh, puts others first he's self-sacrificial he's a hero right yeah and he doesn't have to clean the spotlight but he's got weaknesses right with that kryptonite's there he just becomes you know the weakest thing uh, and and still, even though Kryptonite exists and could, his enemies can use it, he still throws himself into the battle. So I, I love both of that. Yeah, I I think I agree with Leo. Superman's the character. Clark Kent is the alter ego or the mask that he wears. Um, moving on, Sarah Connor. 
from the Terminator series. Um, Sarah probably has one of the biggest character arcs uh, of, of any character that I've ever seen from, from a timid character in the beginning to almost crazy in the end in her single focus and purpose. Um, what do you guys think about this character? Lauren, you want to go with this from first? Or? <laughs> I can go first. I can go first. I just went first last time, so I didn't want to step all over it. Oh, oh. Um, to be honest, I don't remember the Terminator movie sometimes. Well. <laughs> I, I, all right, I'll take this one because Terminator Two just happens to be my one of my favorite movies of all time. Yes, as it should uh, be for everyone. As it should be. You know, I I will say that I think Sarah Connor and. Ellen Ripley are like right here when it comes to um, meek and don't have any idea what to what they're doing. And then in aliens, then she's all about it. And she's like, stop screwing around guys. Let's do what we need to do. Sarah Connor though, I think. Um, and, and really I only encompass the Terminator story as Terminator and Terminator two. Everything else is fan fiction to me. Um, so the, the devotion to the idea that Reese gave her and her experience in the first one created what she is in the second one. And it's impossible to see her become anything else. And, and I love that she was able to take this character. Um, and of course she sounds crazy. Of course she acts like the way she acts because she knows without a doubt, this is going to happen. And what happens to somebody when everyone tells you you're a liar or you're just imagining it um, and you don't know what you're talking about. And on top of that, know that your son is in mortal danger. Like what kind of mental stress would that put on a person? And I thought that she did that very well. She held herself under uh, extreme circumstances and man, the, the, the growth from riding her scooter down the street, looking around like nobody's business to shooting uh, a flying helicopter out of the back of an armored police vehicle <laughs> is a legit character arc. Like I am down with Sarah Connor. All right. Next up, Harry Potter with Hermione and Ron. Uh, also uh, Harry Potter, uses a number of character tropes. We've got the the trope of the orphan, the chosen one, um, you know, the the orphan who doesn't know he's the chosen one and then then it, you know, becomes revealed to him uh through, you know, a relationship with a mentor that, you know, that's another kind of archetypal character uh in Dumbledore. Um I had this conversation with my 18-year-old son Noah today. We were talking about what makes Harry Potter a great character because on the surface, this character has a ton of flaws. Uh, some of them are inherent or, or inherited flaws because of his life circumstance. And he just kind of didn't have any other choice. He, he didn't choose to be raised by, you know, his, uh, his aunt and, and her family, the way he was, he didn't choose to be abused in, in a lot of ways like that. Um, but also, you know, at, at some point he has to take um, he has to take responsibility for his own actions and he kind of grows into the young man that he becomes. Um, but then he has, 
you know, uh, Hermione uh, and Ron, his best friends, Hermione is probably the much better wizard or, or witch than he is. She's better at magic than he is for sure. Um, yet he, um, he's the one who, who gets the spotlight and, and even though she's much better at it than he is. And then, you know, Ron is the, the one who, uh, is, is a pure blood and has inherited all of this. Um, but he's also, um, not as well off as some other students. And he's, he's kind of, you know, he's kind of an odd character, you know, um, so what is it about these three characters? You can say Harry Potter, but really we're talking about this band of of characters that kind of go on this journey together. Um, Lauren, what do you think about these three and what makes Harry Potter um, such a great character that that is easy to root for? Mm, they're the underdogs who are going up against a much, much more powerful villain. Um, but uh, the villain is... Um, somewhat hampered by self-interest um he's got a plan he's got a focus he's going to execute it and he's going to use all of his minions as pawns and they know it right so that can be a strength but that can also be a weakness on the other side we've got harry potter um while he doesn't have a lot of um strong abilities in say his wizard craft uh he's got a lot of gumption (laughs) And he's willing to take risks. Uh, he ends up having luck on his side, but uh, like he, he makes a lot of mistakes. Along he the makes way. a lot of mistakes, yes. but he tries. That's right. the thing. Whereas yeah. Hermione does have a lot of skill. There's a lot of things she's not willing to do because she has rules. And she's going to follow them. <laughs> right. Unless Harry drags her into some kind of situation. Harry and Ron drag her into some kind of situation and she'll go with them because of love. Right. The power of love. So even though these are three small students who don't have a whole lot of um, big, powerful magical strengths against a wizard like he who shall not be named, uh, they are they still manage to defeat him through the power of love and taking those risks and also self-sacrifice. Agreed. Very well said. Um, Josh, What what is it about Harry Potter that's easy to root for other than his underdog status because we all like to root for an underdog mm-hmm. what, what what is the 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 it quality that he has honestly i think it's it's because he makes mistakes um it's he he tries to do things for the right reasons he tries to do his best and sometimes his best is not good enough sometimes he makes the wrong decisions and we've all been in school where we're trying to do the right thing and you just can't do it or, you know, and it's, it really comes down to something simple. Like, you know, it, when you're in gym and you're playing basketball and you're really wanting to make the three pointer and you can't do it. And, um, you, you know, he's not perfect. He, he tries his hardest, but sometimes his hardest isn't good enough. And sometimes his good enough is a mistake. You know, it's an accident. Um, and I think that, because of that, he's not an all-powerful superhero. He really doesn't know what he's doing. He's confused a lot of the time um, because of the grander thing that are, is going on. And and honestly, the way that she crafted the story was was pretty ingenious, just learning new things every year, and, and therefore the reader learns new things as the story goes through. Um, uh, it, I mean, 
you could look at Amazon right now. It's still like in the top 100 on Amazon at full price of an ebook. It was published 20 years ago. It's, it's there. It's, I have a hard time reading it now just because there's a whole bunch of um, adverbs and <laughs> I, I read it and I'm like, you don't need any of that JK, but Hey, she makes a billion dollars. She can do what she wants. <laughs> yeah. She, she tells uh, Stephen King to, Mm-hmm. Politely take his adverbs and yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, you want to create a nail biting experience, and if the the main character always gets it right, especially at the start, then right the, the plot will go uh, very quickly, and the book will be over. But Kyle or Theo says uh, Neville is the my her favorite character. I I happen to like I love Neville's character. I absolutely love Neville's character. Neville's Heart a fantastic gold. character. Um, Dorothy Gale, this was an interesting character that I thought of, um, from Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz. If there's not a, oh, gee, shucks character, <laughs> you know, that is, comes across in the beginning as, um, just passive and clueless, uh, almost, <laughs> I mean, that's, I don't mean to be just dismissive, right, but she right. is just, you know, the, but at the end of her journey, at the end of the movie, she has uh, she's come through a journey of self-awareness. She she has come into her own power, if you will. And she has learned that um, the the reality of the world is much different than she thought. Um, and it, it's an interesting journey that this character goes through. Um, Lauren, what are your initial thoughts about Dorothy as a as, as a lasting character? Dorothy is the every woman, every man, every woman. You know, <laughs> we're supposed to anyone is supposed to be able to put themselves in her shoes, and she represents us. And then everyone else in Wizard of Oz can be flashy and colorful and, and interesting. Um, she doesn't have to be that flashy and colorful and interesting because she, she just stands in for the reader. Um, and that's a kind of reassuring reminder for, for authors who are trying to come up with their main character in their book. And they're trying to make them flashy and colorful and really extra special. They don't have to be right. They don't have to be, you just need a, a solid start and then see where that character will take you on the journey. Um, and I, I think she stands out for that's one of the ways that she stands out is she, she doesn't have to be that flashy. She can just be a simple who she is, Dorothy character that the reader can put themselves into. And then that does, yeah, puts the focus on this magical world around her. But also, like you're saying, um, a, a gentle character transformation that's kind of natural to the plot line and very evident by the end. Yeah. And and this is probably a better representation of a story where the supporting cast have have a definite um uh influence on her outcome because mm -hmm. it's it's through the supporting cast that she learns kind of these different stages of the story that you know from the scarecrow and from the lion that she learns courage and um yes. you know, all of these different things that she ends up taking with her. Um, so maybe this is, this is a, a better representation of the, the, the team, if you will, that, that brings about ultimate character change. Yeah. Um, really simple, straightforward. You get the message and it's just beautiful. Yeah. What about you, Josh? You have any thoughts about Dorothy? <laughs> um, I've got a confession to make. I, 
the monkeys come. the monkeys in this movie <laughs> terrified me when I was a boy and I have never watched this movie all the way through from beginning to end never ah. so what you're uh, saying just, is wizard of oz is your terminator well <laughs> uh and all, like so I tried to watch this movie and I could not but yeah it was because I watched Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and okay. the little the dude with the net and the long nose that was catching the kids had nightmares about him. So oh, when yeah. this came on, I was like, nope, I ain't doing this. I ain't watching it. So I know the story. I know what happens. <laughs> never watched it. <laughs> I have never sat down and watched it from beginning to end. That's funny. That's funny. All right. Moving on. Sherlock Holmes, the Ooh. quintessential detective. Um, Sherlock is always the smartest guy in the room, uh, but inherently uh, an odd and flawed character. Um, but a, a character that has definite lasting and staying power in that we've had his stories for over 100 years. Um, you know, kind of like the the stories that Agatha Christie wrote that they're still remaking movies and and keeping the core of the story intact um you know stories written over a hundred years ago that still resonate uh what is it about this character that that is such a great character i think it's that as an as an escapism i think everyone wants to be the dude that knows everything yeah uh, and and the guy that can look at a hair and go, that hair is from an Asian gorilla on the east end of the <laughs> continent, uh, whatever, right? Like, um, and watching people like that work is very interesting um, because it's so abnormal from what we're used to seeing in people in general when we meet someone that's eccentric as Holmes and as knowledgeable as him it's very interesting and it makes us want to listen to what he has to say to, just to find out what he's going to say next because he, he he's very charismatic and also you have the you know the the Watson character which is of course supposed to be our window into him explaining what he's doing um, right but I, I think honestly, I think it's just because how interesting uh, Holmes is as a person, as a character, that makes everybody just want to follow him around and see what he does. Mm -hmm. Do you think his his um, um, his personality? Um, and I don't want to say disorder, but he's he's very much um, an odd character. Um, do Do you think that some of those quirky um, character traits um, play into the uh, making him more likable and making him more relatable. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think of Harry Dresden in the Dresden files too. It's the same thing. Um, he's got, you know, different kinds of brilliance than Sherlock Holmes does, but he's another character who also has um, flaws that he struggles with. He's got a past uh, that comes up. Um, he's got current flaws and struggles uh, and all of them make him uh, hilarious on the one side. And, you know, it's kind of painful as you watch some of the uh, relationship struggles that he goes through, you know, with his with his uh, ex and his, 
even with his daughter and, and with his friends. <laughs> but then all all of the strings and plot strings and threads, you know, kind of come together at, at the end. And part of his personality flaws and struggles are, are part of how he's able to uh, assemble the team in the final books that he's going to use to defeat or base, base uh, bigger and badder enemies as he goes along. Um, Sherlock, same thing. He's got definite struggles. If he was a, a simple character that just got everything right all the time, uh, it, it wouldn't be as interesting to read. Um, I don't know if we would have followed on that many episodes. Yeah. You kind of um, feel for him. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Harry Dresden because I meant to add a slide for Harry Dresden and I just <laughs> forgot. Um, but he might be the uh, the the perfect flawed character because there's so much wrong with that character. Mm -hmm. And yet you want to climb into his beetle with him and go solve mysteries. You know, yes. it's, it, it's, it's crazy. You know, Jim butcher did a, an amazing job of making a relatable character and someone that you just, you just want to see him succeed and you just know he's not, you know, or he's kind of going to succeed. And, Kind of not. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's always going to be more to come. And always. Yeah. That's, that's what's fun. Uh, next up, uh, Lisbeth Salander from this from Stieg Larson's The Girl or Millennium Trilogy. And The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is where we first um, meet her. She is as antisocial uh, a character as you're ever going to meet. Um, she's, the smartest girl in the room and she just hates people. And, but there's something odd about the way that you just want her to succeed and you want to, uh, you want her to be on your team, I, I guess is, um, is one way of putting it. But um, this is a great example of an anti-hero or uh, an anti-social hero someone that they just don't like people yet we want to be around her yeah there's okay so there's protagonists who are just the main character they don't necessarily have to be good they're just the main character antagonist person who's against them you got a pseudo hero that's someone who's put forward to look like the hero but they're really not um they might even be like um they might even be the, the, villain, the actual villain of the, the character She's she is a hero and she does want justice and she does want good to win out. Um, she just sees a whole lot of darkness and evil in normal good people and in the establishment and in the world at large. She just knows that there's a dark side behind it all and that's what she's going after. So on the surface, it might look like she's trying to make chaos, but it's because she's trying to go after actual justice, not this fake justice that everyone else just kind of swallows down. So, so I, yeah. Uh, so I'd still call her a hero, but yeah, hmm. a pseudo hero would be like Satan in paradise lost. Right. right. At the start, he, you know, he looks pretty good and glorious, but he's, he's presented that way to fool everyone, including possibly the reader. Right. There's a there's a fake hero for you. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, do you, have you read or, or seen the the uh, <clears throat> Larson series? I haven't read the books. I've seen the first movie twice, okay. and I don't i I can't remember 
if I've seen the um, the newer one twice or both versions once, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, the one that I have in my mind right now is the one um, that Daniel Craig is in. And I, yeah. I think that's the newer one of the films uh, of the, the two versions. Um, I really enjoyed, uh, well, it's hard to enjoy her character and the, the movie itself, but um, Lauren's right. I mean, she is a hero, but she doesn't really do hero things. Um, she is surviving and mm. no one is going to get justice for her unless she does it for herself. Um, and I, and it's very on character with her. I mean, yes, she is antisocial, so she's not going to go to anybody for help. She's going to take care of it on her own because she can't trust anybody to do what she needs done. And I thought that that was very interesting. Um, I, I need to read the books um, because I really liked the plot, the idea, the story of the first, uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo. And I don't know how well that follows with the novel from the movie, but I've heard that it's, it's close ish. Yeah. It's, um, it's close. So I, it's as close as you can get a two hour movie from. Right. Right. From yeah. 500 page novel. Right. And last Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Um, here we have a great interplay between these two characters. One, you've got the light and the dark. Um, you know, you, you've got the protagonist and antagonist. And then as we learn in, in the, the second movie, um, you know, Darth is actually Luke's father. And Whoa! Then- spoilers! <laughs> yeah, for, for any of y'all that uh, have been waiting 35 years to, to figure that out, I just spoiled that for you. Um, you know, and, and then uh, was it around the uh, around 2000 when the prequel trilogy came out and we got all this backstory for Darth Vader and we began to understand why he became the character that he became and, you know, all of his struggles and, and all of that stuff. So, but taken as a whole, these two characters, you know, you've got the father son relationship, which is one thing. Uh, and then you've got the whole dichotomy of, uh, of, uh, of the light versus the dark. Um, this was, uh, you know, as far as, um, archetypal characters uh i think george lucas i mean i mean he just he went straight for for uh particular archetypes here um what do y'all think about these characters how they're portrayed and and i'll I'll throw a caveat here since this is our last slide if you could do their story differently would you and what would you do uh i can tell you exactly what i would do okay i the I the the prequels ruined Anakin's story, and they made it. They made the the whole first movie and most of the second movie way too uh, nice. Um, the, I if if I was doing it, the first probably the first quarter of the movie of of the first one would be finding him as a boy, and then the rest of the movie would be getting him to where he needs to be like basically taking him through his youth and then into where he's doing stuff in attack of the clones. Um, but building that character, building the 
the character of Anakin so that he, that change that he makes when he's like, I'm just going to keep her from dying. Make that more gradual, like stretch that you can broad that. Like it's like the, uh, the end of uh, game of Thrones season eight, where Daenerys goes from wanting to help everybody. And then she burns the whole town because she gets mad. I'm like, I could see it happening. Right. Like I can see, yes, I could see how she would get to that point, but not the way you did it. You need like three more seasons to like stretch out that change because it's such a drastic flip flop. And now you're going from hero to murdering children just because you want to save your wife. Like that's a huge. To, to be fair though, if you've ever lived with a toddler, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> those, those mood swings though you know? it's true that is true that is true <laughs> that, that's true so, so, so let me ask you this this is a, a great case of um you explaining away the evil too much um in an effort to humanize your antagonist and to give depth to their story um sometimes kind of washes away some of the evil, if you will, and, 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 um, and takes the punch out of it. Um, sometimes evil just needs to be evil. Um, is, is this a case where we humanize the antagonist too much or was it just done poorly? I think it was a really, it was an attempt to, yeah. to tell a very difficult story. Yeah. And uh, when I was listening to Josh, you know, give, give his ideas. And I thought Rant. that, no, you I thought you were spot on uh, for me, like one, two, and three are like completely different stories from four five and six. And I don't see a character connection between the Darth Vader and four five and six and one, two, and three. Like they for seem sure. like different personalities, but the character arc in four five and six is natural and makes sense. And it reminds me of dealing with people over time, sometimes if you've got someone in your family that you really struggle with, sometimes stepping back works as a, as a, as a I mean, sometimes you need to confront people and, and tell people, you know, um, communicate with them very clearly. But sometimes they need space to think things over. And for Darth Vader, it was just fatherhood was kind of the pull that subtly pulled him over the course of three movies and three stories to, to get him to have a, a change of heart. And it wasn't that Luke was saying, you know, I need you to be my father. You know, I grew up an orphan and, and I was abandoned or, or something, or I didn't have a father figure. That wasn't even true. Right. He did have a father figure, but just that, that pool of Darth Vader seeing his son and wanting some connection just that little thing, that little seed of love ended up kind of blossoming slowly over time. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't see that as, I, I didn't see that same character in four or five and six. So I kind of just think of them as separate, separate characters, right. separate stories. And mm, I don't know. It was a, it was a tough, tough job, but we're all curious. We're all curious about who's this person's backstory. So they, they had to try. Right. The, cur- the coolest Vader of the prequels is in yeah. Rogue One. And I, like yes, Rogue One is by far my favorite. I'm going to get burned to the stake for this. Rogue One is my favorite Star Wars movie of all time. 
And uh, because the stakes are there, the characters are there, and Vader is a badass, and the 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 end how it ties right into a new hope like expert like so well done like it was yeah. so great um i i loved that vader and i would have loved to see that vader in like episode three like if we see that transition and see him become that vader well behind me are the uh posters for episodes four five and six You'll notice there are no posters for episodes one, two, and three. <laughs> right. I'll just leave it there. Says it all. I'll just leave it there. I do have the uh, the collector's edition. You can't see it. It's way across the room. The collector's edition VHS Star Wars Episode One Phantom Menace box because it's got a film cell in it. And I got it when the movie nice. came out. So I keep that on my shelf just because it's a cool knickknack, but uh, I don't ever watch the movie. <laughs> I don't even know I have a VHS player anymore. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Uh, one of my sons-in-law sent me a picture yesterday that he had uh, collected um, all of the editions of the Lord of the Rings, um, including the VHSs. That, uh, nice. And, and I don't think he's ever owned a VHS player, but he has them now. So. We yeah. were well, we had a friend over a couple of weeks ago and for some reason Titanic ended up on the TV and we were talking about it and I I'm said, sorry. you know, oh I actually I love Titanic. I, I it's a great movie. I um I had the gold box double cassette uh thing of Titanic because the movie was so long it had to go on two cassettes, but <laughs> I had the the letterbox, the widescreen edition. Um and I wish I still had it. It was really cool, but yeah. Well, that's, that's that's my when, nerd for you. Well, that's when uh, when movie studios appreciated bathroom breaks because when it was time <laughs> to change that tape, you run yes. to the bathroom before one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, you, you don't get that in digital releases now. You know, yeah. they just want you to sit through four hours of it. Um. Anyway, well, that was a fun look uh, at characters that we're all familiar with and what makes them great. Um. I'm going to finish this week sketching out um, some character. I have my main protagonist. I have my, my um, uh, the person that I know committed the crime. And then I have, uh, I, I have uh, um, some law enforcement officers that are going to uh, come in. I've got some shop owners around the little town and I've, I'm planting, um, kind of red herring characters and each of them are bringing a, a new character trait to the story. And uh, some of them are for comic relief. Some of them are to throw off the reader and I'm having so much fun coming up with these characters. Uh, so that's what I'm going to be working on this week. Um, Josh, do you have, since this is a book two in a trilogy or a, in, in the next book in your series are, are there any new characters coming in or are these characters extending the story that you've already written? Uh, I'm doing a couple things. I, I am adding um, another POV character, but it's more of a, a, a tertiary character than a true side character. But we do get some of his um, chapters. Um, I'm also doing something that I haven't ever done before, which is um, what I call flash pov there's probably an actual thing that it's called but i don't know what that thing is um but uh basically it's when you have a very brief uh 
and I write write in uh, this series in third limited. So it's a very brief glimpse through a character that we've never met before. Um, a very brief glimpse through their eyes before the main character shows up and does something to them uh, or talks to them. And I've never done that before. And uh, one of my favorite authors, Mark Greeny, does that a lot in The Gray Man. And so I wanted to try to do that in this book. So it gives me kind of the opportunity to like almost uh, uh quick sketch character into a very small section of the book and I can do whatever I want with it and then forget about it. So I'm playing with that too, as I kind of go through and create some, some new characters. We should, we should probably talk about character POV at some point. Um, but I'm writing uh, this book in first person present. Um, which is fun. Uh, interesting. It, it is interesting. And it's really interesting for a mystery because um, you can't uh, kind of move the camera over right. and show the reader something else. Right. They, they only get to see what your POV character is seeing, um, which, you know, is, is great for hiding clues, but then you have to figure out how to put those clues in front of your POV character. 100%. The reader only gets to see what your POV character sees. So yeah, um, that that's an interesting challenge. Uh, Lauren, what about you? You are extending uh, a universe that exists, but you're bringing some new characters into it. Um, what are what are your plans for the story you're working on? Yeah, new characters, but I'm also I'm going back to the first couple books of the series, and I'm kind of making an encyclopedia for a universe bible. For them, um, because I really enjoy, again, with um, Jim Butcher's Harry Dresden books, I really enjoy when um, clues and plots from the from the beginning come back around and get explored deeper. So then then the reader gets this rewarding feeling of having paid attention. They get a reward for that. Yeah, I really enjoy that myself. Um, so I'm going to look for villains from book one and two that I'm that want revenge and payback. And I'm just going to kind of mine that a little bit more. Uh, in particular, in book one, uh, there was a, a witch's cabin that gets destroyed. And um, when the witch dies, she's like, you don't know what you did. There were worlds inside my home. Worlds. And I'm like, oh, that is interesting. Tell me more about that. Um, so I'm going to be uh, finding more of those like with possibilities. Exactly. Kind of like yeah. open plot threads. And I'm going to start pulling on them. I'm already pulling on them. And uh, we'll, we'll see what I come up with. Love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, I love those things, by the way. Those are some of my favorite things that I find in books. You, you are pregnant with possibility as well? No, no, no. The, the idea of what finding things out. Finding things out in the beginning of the book that matter at the end of the book that if you were paying attention, maybe. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, that that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that when the reveal at the end makes you think back to all the possibilities right. that you went 100%. through. 100 that's, that's the best. That is yeah. the absolute best. Um, we went out a little over tonight, but we were having so much fun. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about world building and place as character. How do you develop a world and a place for your story that becomes as big as any of the characters that you come up with. Um, Lauren, Josh, thanks as always for joining. Thanks, Hank. And, yeah, this uh, was fun. Everybody keep writing. <laughs>